0: Open your Bible, if you will, the Gospel of John. I want us to see a verse. John directed us this verse last Sunday, but we'll kind of pick back up where he left off. But before we look at the verse, let me say this. I love our mission statement. And you know the mission statement by now. It's 10 words to help all people experience new life in Jesus Christ. Let's say that together. To help all people experience new life in Jesus Christ. Now, you know, 10 words, that's what the church is to do. And as long as we do that, the hands of God will be upon the church and bless the church, and and it will be amazing what God will do. And we're seeing that in unbelievable ways. Now, when you talk about to help all people, that would include the non-Christians, and it includes the Christians. So our job as a church is to help non-Christians and help Christians experience new life in Jesus Christ. Now, if you have your bulletin, we have a a good number of little blanks to fill in this morning, and uh, we're going to move along, and and the goal is to get them all filled in in the time we have. But I want us to begin this morning with a fact of the matter. Uh, The way to help non-Christians experience new life in Jesus Christ is to lift up Jesus. That's how you do it. And look with me in John chapter 12, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's preparing them for his upcoming death and resurrection. And in John chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus said, and I, if I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. And then verse 33 says, this Jesus said, signifying by what death he would die. Now, Here's, here's how that verse applies and works for us. The fact of the matter is, uh, no one can experience anything that they do not have. And so for a non Christian to experience, and have experiences of the new life in Jesus Christ, what they must do first of all, they must experience that life. And there is a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and they're gonna have it on the screen. I want you to look at it with me. I want you to look at this verse. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Now look at that verse a moment. If you ever want to know How you can know that you're a Christian? Well, look at what that verse says. Anyone belongs to Christ has become a new person. Let me ask you, are you a new person? I've been thinking about that verse all week. I've been asking myself, am I a new person? Look what else that verse says. The old life is gone. Is that true of you? Would you say, you know, I remember when my life was very different but that old life is gone. Well, I have a new life. Well, that's exactly what happens when a person becomes a believer. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life, a new life, bless God, has begun. You know, if you want to experience anything, (laughs) there has to be a time it begins You can't experience something that has never actually started in your life. I was thinking about that during the week and I thought, you know, for years we had two or three friends that from time to time when we'd be around them would talk about how exciting the experience was of riding a mule to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And from time to time, that subject would come up again. And I thought one day, you know what? I've never had that experience. I've never ridden a mule to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And so I began to share with Donnie what she thought about it. Now in the next service, I'll tell you verbatim what she thought about it. But in this service, (laughs) uh, she wasn't quite as enthusiastic about writing. But I think the greatest act of her love for all of our years together was that she Well, she did ride a mule to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. Now she did it with her eyes closed, but she did get down there. But be that as it may, you know that, I've never done it. Now I have done it. And I reflect back on that experience oftentimes. Now, some of you may say, now you're just making up a story. You've you've never ridden a mule to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. Well, I, I brought proof. I have on the screen a picture. Now there we are. I'm out front, there's Dottie with her head bowed and her eyes closed, and we're going down the Grand Canyon right there. And you, you know, there are always those who think preachers make up things and, and, and it's really not true. Now, you could say, well, you know, how do we know you're riding a mew to the bottom of the Grand Canyon? We well, you see you're riding a, a, a mew, But you could be like, uh, you know, you could just be somewhere, anywhere riding a mule. Well, I brought another picture for proof. I want you to see. Now, when you get to the bottom of the Grand Canyon and it's time to get off the mule, if you've never done this, remember I said this, you have to have help getting off the mule. Your, your, your legs have just kind of frozen. You've been on that mew so long. So they help you off. It doesn't matter how strong you are, you're gonna to have to have help get off the mew. But at the very bottom of the Grand Canyon, there's what's known as Phantom Ranch. Now you can't, unless you've had magnifying glasses, I'm standing beside a little sign that says Phantom Ranch. That's at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. I've got proof that I was there. And, and what you do when you get down there, um, you, you have a little cabin that you spend the night in and you have this beautiful barbecue uh, dinner for you and the ranger explains to you all about the history of the Grand Canyon. And then Dottie's favorite part of that whole journey, you see that door where she's standing? That's the door to the cabin where we're gonna spend the night. And Dottie just loved that. That was the thing she remembers most about the Grand Canyon. Now, I share that to say this. For example... If you've never been in an earthquake, then you have no idea what that experience would be. Now, Dottie and I have been in an earthquake. And until we were in one, I, I heard about them. I would see on TV about them, but I had no experience. Now, when I hear anything about an earthquake, we've had that experience. And I know what those people are feeling. All of us this week have watched the unbelievable down in Florida. Now, most of us have been through some hurricanes. Ours is not as devastating as that, the ones we've been through, but we've been through three hurricanes in our 32 years here. And, you know, I... I still, when, when I hear about a hurricane, I remember that experience. That experience becomes real. But now if someone's out here somewhere and they've never been through an earthquake or they've never been through a, a hurricane and they hear somewhere in the world there's an earthquake, well, they're sorry there's an earthquake, but you know, they don't feel anything. Well, it's the same way with being a Christian. If a person has never experienced new life in Jesus Christ, <laughs> they have nothing to experience, so what is our job? Our job is to help all people experience new life in Jesus Christ, and how do we do that? We do that by lifting up Jesus, and there are multitudes of ways we can do that, for example, those in the that we 'll be sending money to this week from Texas Baptist, they not only will be meeting physical needs that people have. They're trying to help them just kind of start over the best they can at this point, but they'll be also giving out tracts. They'll be praying with people. They'll be sharing about Christ as they have opportunity and they'll be planting seeds. And so that that's just one of the ways there's so many wonderful other ways, but we thank the Lord for that. Now the way to help Christians to grow spiritually, you say, well, how do you do that? (laughs) Very simply, You build them up spiritually. You build them up spiritually. And, you know, in some ways, this may sound kind of like it's not true, but it is. But in some ways, it's easier to help a non-Christian become a Christian than it is to help Christians to grow spiritually in their own life. Now, you would not think that would be true, but it is true. And I wanna, I wanna, I'll just mention two or three reasons it's true. Uh, one of the reasons it's true is that salvation is a one-time event, but spiritual growth is a process. You became a Christian, it was a one-time event. There was a point in your life, as was mine, where I realized I was a sinner, as did you, and I prayed and asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins, come into my life, I transferred my faith from myself to him for my salvation, but all that a one-time event. Now, spiritual growth is a process. It's not a one-time event. So it's really easier when the Holy Spirit convicts a person to have a non-believer, a non-Christian become a Christian than it is to help Christian people to grow in their spiritual life. Now, there's a second reason that's true. And it will be true for some of you this morning. In fact, I fear it's true for most of us in this room and that watch. Many Christian people are just satisfied with where they are now. They are, they're saved. They, based on what scripture teaches, they know one day they'll go to heaven and they just really are at rest in Zion. They are not really any more knowledgeable about the things of God now than we're back yonder sometime. They're just content. It's so easy to be content in life spiritually where we are. And I don't think we realize it's even happening, but it does happen. And it makes it very difficult. It makes it very challenging. And then a third reason that uh, there are others, but a third reason I mentioned this morning, (laughs) talking about helping Christians grow spiritually. Okay. They're They're at various points in the journey. So if you say, well, what we're gonna do, we're gonna have a class. And we're going to get everybody that wants to grow spiritually that's a Christian to come to this class. Well, when you get in the room, no matter what size the room, if I said one morning, I'm just going to give a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten things all Christians can do to grow spiritually. The problem is, some are very, very new Christians, others have been Christians a long time. For example, Now, folks, listen to this, and I say this, give God total glory because only he can do it. In the past two Sundays, in this room, there have been 50 people saved. Praise God. Interestingly, it was 25 one Sunday, last Sunday, and 25 the previous Sunday. Now, we don't know how many more people were saved, but we do know 50 people in two Sundays. All right, now you think about that a moment. Last Sunday, 25 people made their decisions for Christ. Now that means that those 25 people are one week old Christians. Now the previous Sunday, 25 that Sunday, that means that 25, they're now two week old Christians. Now in the room today, think when you became a Christian, subtract that from your present age, and there are all kinds of numbers floating around the room. For example, in my case, I became a Christian when I was seven years of age, really about seven and a half years of age. Okay, now that means that I am a 74-year-old Christian. Now, some of you that have listened to me preach, I didn't say I'm 74, I'm 81. Well, I don't really think I am. I think the birth certificate's all fouled up. But anyway, that's what the records show. But here's, a, here's what is true. I have been a believer 74 years. Now that doesn't make me more spiritual than the one that's been a believer for a day or a week or two weeks or whatever. It is just what it is, but I'm making a point that's a very valid point. When you start trying to help a group of believers to grow spiritually, and you're gonna have some formula to do it, the problem is one shoe size does not fit all feet. Can I have an amen to that? And it is a very, very challenging thing, which leads me back to what I said. It's easier. It really is to share Christ and get a non-believer if the Holy Spirit's convicting that person to become a Christian than is to gather together with a group of believers and say, now, hey, folks, what we want to do We wanna all grow spiritually. And here's the one, two, three through 10 things you do. It doesn't work quite that easily. It doesn't work quite that well. Now, the question is whose job is it to help Christians to grow spiritually? Quickly, I answer number one. The Bible's very clear about this, parents. You might jot this scripture down. In Deuteronomy chapter four and in Deuteronomy chapter six, The Word of God says that parents are to tell their children and their grandchildren about the things that God has done. And so what a blessed thing it is. Wednesday night, a week ago, at the end of the service, in fact, we had dismissed, a man comes to me down at the front and he has his little daughter with him. And he said, Pastor, my daughter needs to talk to you. And what she wants to talk about she wanted to tell me that she had prayed and trusted Jesus. And I said, wonderful. I said, now, when did you do that? And she said, Our daddy shared that with me at home. And I was here on the front row with a father who had shared with his daughter how to become a believer. It's the job of parents. And I commended that young father. Then I think of Dottie. Her her father led her to the Lord. Many of you, you you are the ones that help your child or children to maybe actually come to know the Lord. Now, that father just wanted me to kind of go over what he had explained to her and pray with his daughter and give her shirts. I think it's what he really wanted. And I think she's being baptized next Sunday. And I look so very forward to seeing that. But it's the job of parents. But not only that, it's the job of the church. It is the church's job. Look with me, you're in John, turn back to Matthew, the last chapter, Matthew chapter 28, and you know the verses, but mark them if you have them not marked. In Matthew 28, Jesus gave instructions to the church. He said, Go therefore and make all disciples, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. He told them to do what? Make disciples. And then he said, teach them to observe all things that I have commanded. So it is the church's job to teach all these new believers, all believers, to grow in their spiritual life. Now, this whole idea of discipleship, you know that's just kind of a, a, a like a it's a bible word a church word it it just means to help people to grow and become more like jesus that's what discipleship's all about now historically baptists have been strong on missions and evangelism and rightly so that's what we're to do but churches that are strong on discipleship, generally speaking, are weaker in missions and evangelism. That's always what I'm trying to discern when we're bringing a staff member in is like, especially in the student ministry. There are some student ministers, their whole deal is discipleship. They are gonna get them about eight to 10 in their little holy huddle and they are gonna grow them in the Lord. Now, while they do that, they don't lead anybody to Jesus. And that's, that, that ministry never really goes very far. Then there are others in student ministry, their whole deal is, you know, get everybody saved and teach them nothing. Well, what is the right answer? The right answer is in the middle. It's not either or, it's both. You you can't disciple people till they get saved, but when they get saved, you need to disciple them. So it is unquestionably the job of the church. Now, here's the good part. Listen carefully. And if you don't write anything else down, get these next two things. (laughs) Spiritual growth is simple. Spiritual growth is simple. You say, well, how is that so? Well, here's, here's all it is. You see what God's word says, you see what God's word or what God says in his word day by day. And I wish you'd jot that down. You see, underline it, what God says in his word. Now here's a kicker, day by day. You don't just read God's word. I mean, you can read the Bible. You can just read black ink on white paper. But what you do, you read it, yes, but you see what it says. The first verse that I read Every day when I pick up my Bible, I, I won't see it with my eyes. I can quote it backwards if I want to. First John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse from all unrighteousness. And I, I look at that verse. I, read, I say it out loud normally. And then I close my eyes and ask the Holy Spirit to show me sin that I need to confess before I even begin to read the Bible. So as I go to the Word of God, and then the second verse, I encourage you to read this verse every time you pick up your Bible. It's Psalm 119, verse 18. Psalm 119, verse 18 says, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things in thy law. And I say, now God, I'm about to read my Bible. I want you to open my eyes to see things that perhaps I've never seen. Or to see things that I need to see today, perhaps that I have seen before. That's the difference between reading the Bible and seeing what you read. You do read the words, but then you see, and you think, and you meditate, and you appropriate, and you apply. Now, if you wanna grow spiritually, the first thing you do is very, very good. You, you You just simply, you see what God says in his word, Day by day. And then number two, you obey what God says in His Word. Now look, day by day. That's it. I mean, I mean folks, you, if you want to grow spiritually, you just see what God says in His Word day by day. You obey what God says in His Word day by day. And when you do that, then you're on the road to being more what God means you to be. Now, you know, this whole deal about, about spiritual growth, a daily time with God, his word produces some things. And I want to just hit them very quickly. First of all, a daily time with God. Now hear that word daily, a daily time with God. Let me say it again, a daily time with God. Folks, if the only time you pick up your Bible and read it's on Sunday, I, I thank you for coming on Sunday. I thank you for reading your Bible, but you're never going to grow very much spiritually. I mean, it'd be like just having a, a treadmill in your house and you just look at it. A bicycle in your living or your bedroom, you just, you just, you know, you hang your clothes on it and look at it. Well, I mean, you, you can get your treadmill in every corner and every room in your house. You finally, if you, you're gonna have to get on the, you just can't just look at it, you know. You, 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 you have to daily, it's a, the same thing here about spiritual growth. It's a daily, t- and see, it'll be the hardest thing you ever do because the devil doesn't want you to do it. The devil does not want you to do it. It's easier, I guarantee this, it's easier to get a Christian to tithe than it is to get people to be consistent day by day by day reading their Bible. It's because the enemy, it's not that we don't love the Bible, there's just gonna be so many things so many distractions so much to do that as much as we want to somehow we can't figure out how to add an hour to the day and it can't be done god didn't make it that way we have to reorganize what we do in the day but here's the bottom line to all of that is a daily time with god his word produces spiritual spiritual cleansing. And there's a marvelous verse. I wish you'd write that down in, the, in your bulletin, the word cleansing. I'm just saying to you if, you, if you'll just day by day get in God's word, what you're going to find some things happen in your life. One is you're going to experience spiritual cleansing. If you look at this verse, it says, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. So day by day in God's word, you're going to experience spiritual cleansing. And not only that, Uh, Once you've moved on beyond that, uh, you're going to experience spiritual growth. You're going to experience spiritual growth. And the Bible, the great verse on that, it's in Matthew chapter four, verse four, where Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So day by day in God's word, you're going to experience, you're feeding in the word of God and you're going to experience spiritual growth. Not only that, a daily time with God in his word and prayer, not only produces spiritual cleansing and spiritual growth, it produces spiritual health. You'll be a healthier person spiritually. Uh, I love that verse in 1 Peter 2, 2. It says, uh, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of of the word that you may grow thereby. It's a blessed, blessed thing. And then, boy, here's a good one. Uh, A daily time with God in his word in prayer produces not only spiritual cleansing and spiritual growth and spiritual health, it it gives spiritual counsel. The Word of God gives us counsel. Uh, I love it. It says, you will guide me with your counsel. God's Word says that. You see, the best counselor you'll ever go to is the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit will guide you as you study in the Word of God what the Word of God has to say about things. And then a daily time with God in His Word and prayer produces not only those things, but it produces victory during times of spiritual conflict. You know, Jesus, when He was tempted in Matthew 4, three times He said to the devil, it is written, See, if what I'm saying to you is a daily time in God's Word and prayer, as you go through conflicts in life, you get up against things and you think, man, <laughs> I, don't believe, I don't believe this is gonna work out. I don't know how I'm gonna get through this. And then your faith begins to waver and your faith begins to weaken. That's spiritual conflict. But the solution to that is a daily time with God in His Word. And it takes care of all of that. The key is the consistency of day after day after day. It, even if it's an abbreviated period of time, I'm convinced that the consistency of 15 minutes a day is more beneficial than once or twice a week if you did an hour at the time. you know It just doesn't work that way. Now, I wanna wrap this whole thing up with two must and when I thought about this, I thought, you know, people don't like the word must. They don't. You know, we, we have a spirit about us that we don't want anybody to tell us what to do. Like, like when they put the must mandate on wearing mask, Well, folks just went in rebellion. You know, I mean, nobody can tell us what we have to do. You know, we just, we just, of course, you know, we pick and choose what we do. Well, now listen to me, folks. If you want to grow spiritually, there are two must. And here's what they are, and you ought to jot them down in your bulletin. You must have a desire to grow spiritually. I mean, if you don't have a want to in you to grow spiritually... I mean, I might preach a sermon or somebody else and kind of stir you up for a few days, but that's not the same as having a indwelling desire to know God better, to love him more, to grow spiritually. So you must have a desire. and Not only that, you must be consistent with your daily time with God in prayer to grow spiritually. It can't just be once or twice a week, or or what, it's just day by day. This is the old grind. This is just what I'm going to do. Just like every morning, I'm going to get up and I'm going to brush my teeth and I'm going to take a shower and I'm going to shave and I'm going to do the things, the routine. We all do these things. We all, we're going to get dressed, you know. I'm going to put on my socks, you know. You say, well, I mean, sometimes you, ha- you just do things because you know you're supposed to do them. Well, you know, There's nothing exciting to me about getting up in the morning and saying, whoopee, I live through the night. I get to put on my socks. But I need to put on my socks. I do. I need to get ready for the day. Well, spiritually is part of being getting ready for the day. Now, here's, here's the thing. I've been a Christian 74 years. That's a long time. I've been through two seminaries, and then I look at my Christian life. I look at my spiritual growth, and I think, you know, I've been pastoring churches over fifty years. <laughs> I've been in church all my life. I mean, I, I was raised in a home. We never—what is never stuff about? We going to church tomorrow? It just, what time we need to be in the car. Yeah. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, visitation one night, generally something else down to church one night. I mean, it's just, I'm, I'm, I've been to church too much. I, I really, I've thought about that. I'm, I'm worn out with church. I've heard good sermons, bad sermons, long sermons, short sermons. Then I look at my life and I think, you know, seriously, 74 years, I need to be spiritually better than this. And I'm just sharing my heart. I'm not beating myself up. 74 years I've been a Christian. (laughs) And I thank God for wherever I am but I've got a long way to go. Now, let me ask you, how are you doing on the journey? I mean, I hope, first of all, you're saved. But assuming most of you are saved, how, how's your spiritual condition? I mean, like, how long have you been saved? Would you say that you're, you really are growing spiritually or have you just kind of stagnated? It's easy to do. Just a little neglect here and a little neglect yonder. And i tell you what you'll do. You'll dry up. You'll dry up spiritually. And it's the worst feeling in the world. I do believe that a lost person is happier living their lifestyle than a Christian who's spiritually dried up. Well, You'll have to answer that. I just encourage you day by day, get in God's Word. See what it says to you and be consistent with it. But now this morning, where I started about the non-Christians, it may be that some of you are not growing spiritually because you've never had the experience of trusting the Lord Jesus. And I want you to bow with me this morning. We're going to have a prayer. I'm going to lead it. And this morning, if you say, you know, Pastor, it's not that I've not believed in God, but I'm not sure there's ever been that event in my life that you described in years earlier when you were a little boy, seven and a half years of age. There was that one time event where you realized that you were a sinner and you needed Jesus to forgive you of your sins come in your life, make you a Christian. Now I'm asking you this morning, has there been, I'm just asking you to ask it to yourself, has there really been a time in your life, a one-time event where you really feel like you settled your salvation and you trusted Jesus alone to be your Savior? If you say, well, you know, I'm not sure. Listen to me. You can be sure. You better be sure. You must be sure. Because Jesus said, you must be born again. We may not like the must, but here's one you're gonna have to go out into eternity with. This morning, if you'd say, you know what? I wanna get that done today. Just pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm asking you this moment. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Make me a Christian. I trust you, Jesus, to save me. I thank you today, God. I've not only settled my salvation, I've settled my entire eternity. In Jesus' name.